Okay, so this is going to be a different one. Um, I don't have a guest this week, and it's not because sometimes when I don't have a guest, it's because I don't have anyone who's agreed to be on the show, and then I just record something so that I have some content. I still have two more episodes recorded, and I have a third one that's going to be pretty interesting to record next week, so I should be good for the next several weeks. But all these conversations I've been having in the last month, maybe two months, because I've been putting out a new episode every week for a couple of months now, I haven't really said too much about what I'm thinking. I mean, I've responded to what people are saying, but I really have some things I want to say about the situation and some of my own experiences in relationship to the city over the last 20 years. So, if you're interested in hearing that, that's what we're going to do. Okay, so what I want to talk about here is four separate disasters that have happened in and around New York City. Not just in New York City, but this is where I'm from in the last 20 years and how I've always been somewhat adjacent to them, but not directly affected. I mean, affected, that I've been emotionally affected and sometimes financially affected, but I'm not really a victim of any of them. I feel weird about it and, uh, and grateful. Let's go into them. So the first one is obviously, we're talking about 20 years, so you know what I'm going to say first. I was 15 in 2001, right? I started my junior year on September 10th. And as you all know, I do have class privilege to a certain extent, although less so than my classmates in high school. And um, we had just come back from a very nice trip to Africa that I was very happy about. I got to see lots of animals that I'd always wanted to see up close. And then, you know, on the second day of school, that happened. Um, I did not ha- happen to have any family who worked in those buildings. Um, i not related to any police or firemen. Um, just, I didn't know anybody who died. And I knew people who knew people who died, but no, nothing happened to me. You know, on that day, I've told this story before, but um, I basically stayed in and around my school building for a while. I almost forgot to go back and get my sister who was in guess third grade she was fine too um and then we walked most of the way home and we stayed there and it was weird and it's really hard to process something like that when you're 15 um i you know it was sort of what i had grew up raised somewhat religious my parents more religious than i am but i was never really into it and i think that was the end it's a cliche thing to say but i'd been teetering on the edge of it and at that point no one could really explain to me if like God was either not omnipotent or he was not benevolent. So that sort of ended that. And I don't have a problem with people being religious, but it was not for me. Anyway, people asked me and they still ask me about 9-11 and they, you know, they get really somber and it's a very somber thing. But I can tell you the experience in that city after that was 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 not abject paralysis like I was back at school on the Thursday that was a Tuesday and I was back at school on the Thursday um you know the subway went right by where there was a giant fire um which a fire that went on for a hundred days or something like that 
And we just sort of didn't talk about it. People started coming to visit New York to look at it, and that was weird and gross. And the entire country, in fact, much of the world, started to use this this thing that had happened as a justification to do terrible, terrible things. I was too unsophisticated to understand what they were doing with the torture and so forth and the war crimes. I knew they were engaging in war and that I didn't agree with that, but I didn't realize the depth of what was going on because I was a teenager and I should have known more. should have known more about what they were doing. But all I know is at the time I was in New York and I was 15 and I was adjacent to a world disaster. And I was fine. And being fine while being adjacent to a world disaster is strange. You know, this is a very American exceptionalism thing to say, but uh, it was sort of the sort of thing that you think happens in other places because I'd been raised not so much by my parents, but by my schooling, by my society to believe that disasters happen in other places. Even when disasters happen in, in the United States, they're you know, a right-wing extremist like Oklahoma City, which is an interesting thing to say on the anniversary of that, right, 25 years ago. Um, Or school shootings, which were just sort of coming around then, right? Columbine had happened a couple of years earlier. But when that happened, it just, the fact the way that it happened, you know, the the planes, it just seemed so outlandish that it was hard to process. And again, I was fine. And being fine felt, it didn't feel okay to be fine. You know, I'm not saying I wanted to be not fine, but I started, I think I developed um, a bit of a survivor's guilt. Not a literal survivor's guilt in the sense of like I had been in the building and then I survived, not like that, but just in the sense that like I knew something had happened to my city. And I almost saw it happen. You could see the smoke. You could smell it. The smell is really what one retains. Um, But it, you know, it was very indirect. And that was strange to me. And then all of the things that I didn't realize were going on at the time, and I don't claim ignorance to absolve myself of them, but all the things that were going on at the time, all the anti-Muslim rhetoric and anti-Muslim linguistic violence and literal violence, I really wasn't paying attention. Part of it was the internet wasn't as big as it is now. I was also 15. Now, if I had been 15 now, I probably would have been on Reddit reading about it. And hopefully I would have reacted positively and said, this is wrong. But maybe I would have reacted negatively and gotten anti-Muslim myself. I don't know. You don't know either. Um but I don't know. I'm sh- I was impressionable. And I could have easily gone the wrong way. I didn't really have a whole lot of political thoughts as a kid. Um, I was nominally a Democrat, but I was a kid. You know, I suppose that in, in the mock elections we held in school, I voted for Clinton. But, and then I knew that it was bad that Bush had won, but I did not realize how bad or in what ways it was bad other than that he was a Republican, and we didn't like that. And after 9-11, I, I wasn't even upset when he showed up at Yankee Stadium in the third game of the World Series. 
you know, I was like a lot of Americans. I felt comfort in our president, which is kind of shameful now. But uh, I took part in a study in 2015 and then again last year because it was a two-part study where they were asking people about their health, both physical, mental, spiritual, whatever. Um, Columbia University study on people who had been here on that day. And I can't blame 9-11 for a lot of this stuff. But when I thought about um, how I'd felt afterwards, you realize that there is a real change that happens when you're near something like that. Now, I know somebody, well, I don't know her well. I know somebody, though, who uh, basically has an entire career about having lived near 9-11. So I don't mean to use this as some sort of way to jump off like my 9-11 story. My 9-11 story is boring. I was in my school, I stayed in my school, and then I went home. Um, and I listened to Renegade, Jay-Z, and Eminem for a while until my CD player died. Because that blueprint came out that day and the stores were still open. But, you know, that was a day when there was so much death and so much grief. And I felt like I was watching it at a remove. Like, uh, you know, for the, for the several months afterwards when you would see pictures, news stories of funerals, it just felt artificial. And it felt, you know, distant. And that, it felt strange to me. And let me tell you about New York. I've never felt connected to the United States as a country. I mean, I have a passport and I am a citizen. Uh, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just is. Um, And that passport has gotten me into certain things, like several countries where I don't have to get a visa. And the job in Korea was pretty much based on my passport. My whole career started because of that, but I don't have any great, I've never been one who's like, this is a great country or, you know, this is the best country in the world. I thought that was weird. Even before I knew anything about American empire, I thought that was just weird. Like what, what, what is a bad country? Like, come on, it's strange. But New York, I've always loved New York. And I didn't realize how much I loved New York until after 9-11. And not in that cliche way, the way in Spider-Man, the guy is on the Queensboro Bridge and he says, you must mess with us. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us. That's stupid. But I realized that a lot of my identity was wrapped up in parts of New York that I took for granted. And I know New York has a lot of problems, which I'll get to as we get to other parts of this. Um... And I know it's one of the centers of capitalism in the world. I know this now. I did not know it when I was 15. But there's something about New York for me that I realized that if it weren't for New York, um, I don't have an ancestral home. You know, I don't have a place that I can go back to. I can't say I'm going back to the old country or where my parents are from. I mean, my mom's from Philadelphia. My dad's from North Carolina. Um, But I'm not from those places. And instead of being a source of grief, 9-11 weirdly ended up being a source of pride for me. And that sort of stuck around through 
the other disasters that happened. So let's talk about the next one. So the next disaster that's not really, again, a New York disaster, but a lot of it took place here is, is in 2008, right? The whole world went into financial collapse. Now, at the time, I didn't understand any of it, until, really, until I saw The Big Short and I went back and read it. Not that The Big Short is the, the Bible of that situation, but it helped me figure things out in a lot of ways and made me realize that this entire financial system is fiction. But when that happened, I was at even more of a remove. I was at a literal remove. I was in South Korea when the financial crisis happened. And because I was inside of a contract with the South Korean government, nothing was going to happen to me. So I told this part of the story before, but in 2007, I, I left college and I was about to, to take some sort of investment banking job because that's what was being pushed on me by people. And I didn't want to do it. Um, and I think back, and I was for, I've written a lot about this, but for a long time I was trying to impress a certain type of white people. Uh, white people I didn't really agree with. Politically, they might be Republicans, they might be centrist, but mostly it was just mainstream white people that I was trying to impress. Well-educated, wealthy white people. And again, I don't say this as if I was poor. And I was much money as they did. Um, people I went to middle school, high school, college with, just kept trying to impress them, kept trying to be accepted. And and it kept getting me in trouble because, first of all, I'm not one of them. Um, and when I tried to be one of them, I, I was pretty terrible. Not only was I not as funny as I thought I was, but like to actually be like them, you've got to do some terrible stuff. And, uh, you know, I felt like I was losing my soul, even though I wouldn't have called it that at the time. And also, even though it wasn't religious. So anyway, I realized early enough that I didn't want to go do the investment bank thing. And I was unemployed in 2007. And then I went to South Korea. And then everything fell apart. And I thought a lot about, for 10 years, I thought a lot about how I had dodged a bullet there. Because if that had happened in 2008 and I'd been working in investment banking, chances are I would have been the last one in the door, first one back out the door. And I would have been a pretty bad investment banker because I have no interest in it. I'm not good at all at doing things I'm not interested in. I'm not good at it as a doctoral student. When I take a class, I'm not interested in it. I'm not good at it. I can fake my way through it for a semester and I'll get a grade because I know how to write a paper, I guess, and I can memorize things. But whew, my work is so much better when I'm interested. This is true of everybody. But for me, like, if I'm not interested, I am not interested. Not interested. But um, I thought about the financial crisis and I realized, again, I got lucky again. I'm in South Korea. I'm protected. Nothing is going to happen to me. And this started to really, you know, this pattern of disasters happening in my home and me surviving them, both financially or physically, you know, it started to recur. And that, um, it added to my strange guilt. And I think this guilt is something that I didn't process very well until more recently. When I came back to New York in 2010, the crisis was starting to abate a little bit. But 
you still couldn't really get jobs. And at that point, it did hit me to some extent because I was a guy who had a college degree, but I didn't get a job. Now, there should be no assumption that I would get a job. But, you know, if it had happened, if it had been five, six years earlier, chances are I would have gotten a job a lot more easily than I did. And I didn't get a full-time job with benefits until four years later. Um, So a lot of that really, you know, I did have that two years in Korea where I had a lot of interesting experiences. But, you know, when I came home, I was slightly affected by the financial crisis, but I wasn't in the thick of it. When I read these stories about millennials graduating college into the financial crisis and then having this happen when they're trying to build their wealth in their 30s, which I'll get to, I always say, you know, I got lucky because, you know, I didn't have a great start to my career, but all they did was delay things for me and I was protected by where I was when it actually happened. So another thing happened and I was lucky. I'm not asking you to pity me for good things happening to me or for bad things not happening to me. I'm just trying to explore a feeling about my relationship to the city and the people in it. One of the things that I realized in South Korea is that I wanted to come home, not to the United States. I had I had, and continue to have no particular love for this country. <laughs> if I ever run for any kind of office, someone's going to use that against me, but whatever. I don't plan to run for anything. But anyway, um, I wanted to come back to New York. I missed my friends, even though at the time I had such a low opinion of myself that I didn't think I would have friends when I came home. And I just missed being home. I had a somewhat strained relationship. Not strained, but not super close relationship with my parents at the time. But I still wanted to come home. And I couldn't put my finger on it, but what I missed was being here. And I'd wanted my whole life to be an adult in New York. You know, you get these images, maybe it's from my dad and my mom, that, you know, when you're an adult, you can go to bars, right? Really, I just wanted to be at the bar and have a drink with my friends. I had tried that in 2007, but I had no money. And then I came home, and I had a little bit of money, and then I spent it because I'm an idiot. And then I had no money again. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to claim I was ever poor. I was broke, but I was never poor. And mostly, I just had a tough time for a little while. And again, I was close to things that were going poorly, and it never directly happened. I'm saying all this to build upon a narrative that is going to be clear by the end of this. But that's my experience with the financial crisis in New York. All of this will become clear when I get to the current state, because that's my point. So then there was Sandy. Now, in 2012, I had a, I was finishing my master's and um, I had this plan. It's when I started to use social media to pump myself up. In 2011, I had watched the New York Marathon pass my house. And a friend from college, well, I knew her, I didn't really know her in college, but we we went to the same college, told me that you can sign up if you run for a charity and raise money. So I did. I got my parents' friends to support me, got my friends to support me, and I raised money. So that year, I I had a three-pronged plan. I was going to get my master's, I was going to run a marathon, and I was going to go to Manaus in Brazil, because I really wanted to go to the Amazon. Well, only one of those things happened. 
I did get my master's because I was finishing. Um, and I did go to the Amazon, but I went to Ecuador because it was a lot cheaper. I had a great time. I'm not complaining about Ecuador. Um, and then I, the marathon didn't happen because of Sandy. Now, the thing about Sandy is that if you were not here, you know, you may realize that, like, unless you were in the southern edge of Staten Island or in the Rockaways, and I'm not saying those places don't matter, but I'm just saying for most of the city, the actual experience of the storm, like the storm itself, it wasn't the hurricane that was bad. It was the storm surge. And the storm surge, at least in where I lived, because I lived in Manhattan at the time, was this weird, slow, creeping thing. I lived on First Avenue and 101st Street. And um, I was only like one block from the water. And we actually were able to watch the water crawl from 96th Street, block by block, up to us until it stopped at 101st Street, where I lived. And I lived on the fifth floor. So if I had lived a block south of there, my apartment might have been flooded. We might have had to evacuate. Maybe we would have lost power. As Instead, I just watched these things happen near me. My friend lived across the street from me. He lived in the basement, not like a bad apartment, just on his particular bedroom was underground. His apartment got flooded. It wasn't even just a poverty thing. I mean, I'm not calling him poor, just in the sense that I literally, just because of the side of the street that I lived on and the floor that I lived on, was spared. Now, I lost a bunch of money because I had a job that only paid hourly and we didn't work that following week, obviously, so that was a big stressor. But again, I got, you know, a light glancing blow. And once again, I thought about how um, the city was the only thing that I felt really tied to. The marathon was canceled, and I was selfishly upset about it because it was my first one. And I told myself that I would run the following year. But I was at the time not sure that I would be able to stay in shape for a whole two years for the marathon, which is funny because I ran a bunch after that. But Sandy was a very New York, New Jersey experience. Um, there's a lot of people who are signed up for that marathon who I've since met. And we sort of had that experience together. But once again, if the worst thing that happens to you is you can't run a marathon, things didn't really go that bad for you. I'm saying all of these things for a reason, though. Because all of these disasters, which are on different scales, right? Financial crisis led to people's death indirectly, but mostly led to job loss and financial losses. And I didn't own anything, so I had nothing to lose there. Um, and I wasn't here, right? 9-11 was really bad. But ultimately, if you weren't in a very specific area or a first responder, you weren't in that much danger. We just didn't know. Uh, and then 2012... You know, that was much more damaging property-wise than it was for death and life. Not that that doesn't matter, but understand, it's a different scale than what's happening now. I'm saying all of this to build up to what's happening in 2020. Because the one thing that is absolutely clear 
as this situation starts to finally slow down a little bit is how much and the very specific ways in which I love New York. So now we get to the main event. So look, I said all those other things so I could talk about this. This is really sad. Like, even if you're not someone who's sick or no one in your family is sick, and if we continue to socially distance for the next month or whatever the situation is, it seems like... um, with hospitalizations down, many of the people that I know will be okay. That doesn't mean it's the case for everybody I've ever met. People I know have lost family members. People I know have lost, you know, runners in the running scene have died. Um, again, no one I know really closely, and it's the same like a 9-11, although on a much bigger scale. I look out my window. I can see Elmer's Hospital from my window. You know? And I think sometimes it takes a long time to really process what the actual enormity of something is if it's not happening. If you, if, like, even if you're right next to it, but it's not happening to you. The most emotional I've ever gotten about 9-11 has been in the last couple of years. I work at the World Trade Center, for those who don't know. I don't work in one World Trade Center, the main building. I work in four. Um, There's a bunch of buildings. But I work in front of the memorial. And if it's nice out, you know, sometimes I go sit out there. Now, there's a bunch of tourists there. I still think that's a little weird. But I also went to the Vietnam Memorial in D.C., so I can't really say it's that weird. Um, They're just a little too happy is my point. And one of the things they do at the 9-11 memorial is when it's the birthday of someone who died, they put a white rose into that person's name. And to me, that makes me really sad. The names are sad, but it's a graveyard. The names are in a graveyard are sad. But the birthday, to me, the fact that they... And I wonder if they're still doing that. Um... That makes me think of these people, people's lives who just ended. And let's be clear, America's warring in exceptionalism and empire was one of the main causes of that, although the reaction to it was certainly terrible. But still, just thinking about the loss of life and all of the families that were uh, irreparably harmed, it has only really hit me more recently. Why? Well, I have a family now, right? I didn't have a kid until this year, but, you know, I have a wife. I had a wife for four years now. When I was 15, I obviously had a family. I was part of a family. I was someone's kid. and Obviously, I'm still people's kid. But it wasn't a chosen family, not to disparage them, but it was the family of birth. And I really didn't believe that I would ever have my own chosen family, one that I built. You know, an apartment like the one I have now with 
what is growing to be a fairly traditional family with a wife and a son and a little dog that likes to whine. But um, now I have those things. And, you know, I think if Alyssa got sick or if my son got sick, even if my dog got sick, or honestly, almost especially my dog, like my dog would not understand being sick. And I think that that would be some of the hardest things to understand. Let's be clear, that's going to happen someday. But you know what I'm saying? Um, There's an affection you get from a chosen and built family that is not better, but different than you get from your birth family. And Um, I did not have that during any of the other disasters. So when all those other things happened, they were sad and they were near me. But I sort of intellectualized them so they didn't stop me in my tracks. But of course, I wasn't going anywhere when I was 15. I was in high school. What was I going to do? What was I doing Um, in 2008? Or really, when I came back in 2010, I was completely shiftless. I had no direction whatsoever. And of course, it was privilege for me to be able to just not have direction. 2012, yeah, I was running the marathon, but like, I didn't even have health insurance in 2012. During Sandy, I trained for a marathon with no health insurance. You know how stupid that is? Um, you know, a lot of things, like disasters keep being near me. So they don't, you know, financially, I remember in early 2013, I finally got a job with the benefits, but they they didn't pay me until my third week, which is fine. But like, it was right up against as late as I could have possibly paid my rent that month and I had no money. But it worked out. Literally the day that I had to pay, I got the paycheck and I transferred the money. I feel like I'm holding my breath all the time, but it always works. I don't know. So now this happens. And at start, I didn't think it would be this bad. None of us thought it would be this bad. I I took a lot of I made a lot of choices before this year started about what I wasn't wanting was wasn't wasn't going to do in 2020, mostly because of my son. I said, my son is here. I'm not going to run all these races. My son is here. I'm not going to go to these conferences. My son is here. I can't participate in this thing. And then literally all those things I chose not to do just didn't happen. I say all this to say, although I'm not religious, sometimes I feel like the universe is protecting me from the worst of things. Um, And again, part of that is class privilege, but some of it is really just luck. You know, like, I very easily could have been living across the street and had my room flooded in Sandy, right? Like, that's not, that wasn't a money thing. You know, um, I could very easily have swallowed my pride and worked in iBanking and then lost my job there. Um, I, you know, frankly, I took the subway 
um, under the World Trade Center, like 40 minutes before the first plane hit on 9-11. I could have been there. I don't know. I'm not saying, like, uh, I would have been in the tower when something happened. And obviously people who were at Stuyvesant had a much more difficult experience than I did. But who knows what could have happened. And with coronavirus, obviously anything could have happened to me. Anything. Um, and still might. Maybe somebody in my building is sick, and I don't know. I live in an apartment building. I wash my hands every time I get out of the elevator, but I don't know, right? I really don't. But I, I do feel like the universe is protecting me. I feel like New York is protecting me in some way, and I don't know why. I don't feel like I deserve this protection sometimes. Um... In 2019, I got onto this path with the, a critical analysis of race, language, and whiteness. Because I honestly consider whiteness to be more than a racial category. It, there's a color in the name, but it, it's, more, it's, it's more of an overarching ideology than a, a race. Um, and sort of devoted my... my my lens to trying to pull that shit apart. And in so doing, I've come into contact with a lot of people who are pretty far to the left. And a lot of them have pulled, they've taught me a lot. I've learned a lot from them and pulled myself farther to the left. And it's been really good. But what happens? I end up trying to impress a different group of white people. Trying to impress white leftists isn't necessarily better than trying to impress the white centrists or white Republicans that I used to know when I was a kid. Trying to impress white people as a person who isn't white, or really as anybody, just leaves you, you know, empty. Whiteness leaves you empty. I didn't say white people leave you empty. I said whiteness. Um... And so the ideas I have for the future, for what I'm going to do with my work and my writing, are all pretty well tied to whiteness. And I wonder if, like yesterday, I was thinking about, like, what do I want to do? Do I want to start this? Do I want to start that? And I'm thinking about the structure of what I want to do. And I'm thinking, I don't know, man, if I have this structure, it won't be effectively socialist or something. And the white leftists will be mad. And then I realized, I do not care, honestly. I don't care. I, I feel like I have been given an opportunity by continuing to escape these disasters. These disasters, around, just, you know, I, I basically feel like for the last 20 years, New York has been falling down slowly around me. And I'm standing here still. Um, left only with the option to keep moving forward. I feel extremely guilty about, you know, continuing to be unharmed. And I feel grateful. And um, I think it's very important that 
I continue to do the work that I need to do. Uh, because let me tell you, most of these disasters wouldn't have happened if whiteness wasn't in charge. You know, many of these disasters were, you know, quote unquote, natural or um, biological in nature. But the response to them, the people, any decision that was made, has always made such that the people who don't matter get harmed the most. And what I've struggled with for many years is the fact that I do well in the white world. I don't have that much money, but like I do well. I do well in standardized tests. I don't even study that hard. Um, I'm pretty good at mimicking that ethos. And I've told myself in the last two years since I started grad school, since I started my doctoral program, I don't want to write in a way that feels inauthentic because I won't do a good job. So I write the way I want to write. And it's going well. Yes, the New York State TESOL journal isn't huge, but that's a publication. Like my CV, it has, has entries on it. I got a chapter accepted recently. A lot of people don't get that. I don't know. And I'm writing with my very distinct voice. It leads me to believe that whatever I end up trying to do after I get my degree will work. And that's why it's really important to me that I really consider the choices I make in the writing, in this podcast, um, in my public-facing work, because if I'm going to keep surviving, and it seems like I will, New York has to be better off for it. If I'm going to be spared everything that keeps happening to this city and to know deeply that there but for the grace of whatever, it could easily have gone differently. Then it's really important that I stick the landing. New York is not a real, it's not a person, right? It doesn't actually care about me one way or the other. And I'm speaking in metaphorical terms here, so. But, uh, and, and like the next two years here, right? Unless they find some amazing treatment are still going to be messed up. This, this is just the beginning. We're all still at home. When, when we start to leave home, like, when am I going to be able to take my son to a Yankee game? I'm not complaining. I'm just saying, like, there's major things that are just not going to happen here. Things that I wasn't necessarily big on. Like, I don't really go to Broadway or anything like that. But that's a major part of the city. That's just not here. Not just the people dying, which is terrible, but all of these industries. And I'm not even talking about the capital or the money and the economy and the capital stop. But, like, those are people's jobs. And some people like having those jobs. Some people like 
yes, some of them are, many of them are exploited, but there are people who own restaurants who enjoy serving the food. There are people who like working in bars and like going to bars. Um, there are a lot of things I took for granted. I always knew I loved the subway, so yeah, but there are a lot of very small things that I took for granted. I never thought that my wife and I would have this much, we wouldn't be able to go to a restaurant and sit down. You know, I can't, I, I used to go to the movies just to get my mind off of the negative things I was feeling and I can't do that now. It's only starting to hit me now because we were always going to be at home for the first couple of months after my son was born. Even if I went back to work full time, you know, they were going to be at home. Today, he got uh, the vaccines a couple of months into his life that when we, he was born, the doctor said after getting these vaccines, we'd be able to go to restaurants. You know, he, he does not have to, I mean, aside from the coronavirus, he no longer needs to be completely quarantined from the world if this were a normal time. That's why I'm recording this today, because I'm thinking about how he is going to live, hopefully, even maybe until the next century, right? If he is healthy and has a nice average length life, he could live until past 2100, right? And, you know, there are going to be things that I need to do because I've been given the opportunity to continue to live. Maybe this entire podcast is selfish. I don't, know. I don't mean that standardized English. I mean this episode. But I really do think that and if you do hear the train in the background, by the way, and the train will never stop running. And I do appreciate that I live near the subway, even though the train is empty. Um, I really do think I've been given a gift, given an opportunity, given a series of talents. I don't know. Whatever I've been given. Skills. That... If New York is going to continue to experience disasters and I'm going to continue to stand near them as they occur and do what I can during them. But like most of us, all we can do right now is stay home. Um, and yes, there's money to be given to places. I'm, I'm not talking about that. Um, then in the long term, if I'm going to see all of the things that have happened here to the city that occupies a large portion of my identity, then through my work and through my life, I need to give back. So I hope that this was worth listening to for you. It was meaningful for me to say all of it. It's very different from other conversations. Um, 
I don't know what's going to happen. None of us do. And I, like I said, I still have two more of the conversations I've already recorded to post in the next couple of weeks. Um, but I just hope when all is said and done, no matter what disasters continue to happen here, that I can say in the long run that if I was going to survive, it was worthwhile because I made my city better. <laughs>